Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Thursday night, a day later this week, uh, we took yesterday off. Uh, I had uh, it's playoff time in uh, Western New York uh, basketball. Uh, I have a nephew playing uh, playing uh, some of his last hoops uh, as a senior uh, over at Iroquois. And then my cousin is a senior over at Williamsville North. He plays on Friday. So I decided with Ryan's blessing to kind of sneak this week's episode in between the two games. Uh, this is Shout a Buffalo Football Podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, anything you got uh, on the docket uh, hosting some friends or, or family or whatever. Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. We're here on a special Thursday night, Ryan. We're going to talk about a couple different things. I put out even uh, a Q&A mailbag uh, request, and we got some questions that came over uh, on Twitter. We'll get to those. If you have any uh, right here on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, wherever you're watching, post them, and we will get to those too. Uh, but we do have some things to, to talk about, some housekeeping stuff, Ryan. And I think we got to start with Saran Neal, 16 unrestricted unrestricted free agents for the Bills. Uh, the first one is back under contract. Saran Neal, uh, depth cornerback, uh, special teams gunner, uh, special teams ace, signs a three-year, what's reported to be a $10.9 million max contract. Now, listen, I think fans, first of all, see that that number and they get a little bit scared off. Um, this is a, you know, a, a depth player on the defensive side of the ball, a priority special teamer. But when you're talking about setting the market, you know, at a, at a spot, and that's what kind of he did as a special teams, exclusively special teams player for the most part, you know, upwards of three plus million per season. That's a lot to commit to a player like that. But I think it's important to put, keep it in perspective. When you get the final numbers on this, the guarantee is probably not going to be even half of that. And you got to remember, there's going to be outs every year. And for what Saran Neal brings to the table, the versatility, the depth, being able to play on the boundary, being able to play on the interior, we haven't even seen him in a more expanded defensive role because it hasn't come to that yet. And he's so valuable on special teams. He's a versatile piece from that 2018 draft class that I think at that price point, I'm okay with it. What about you? 
Yeah, I was okay with it as well. And listen, you, you kind of nailed it. Uh, he is their their specialist on special teams. He's he's great at what he does. You saw it in one of the Chiefs games this year. They put three players on him, knowing that he is such a difference maker on special teams. You know, I was a little surprised that he he came back as soon as he did. I thought he might test the market. I I know that getting opportunities on defense. Uh, from what I had heard, was important to him, but maybe he heard everything that he needed to from Sean McDermott or Leslie Frazier, Brandon Bean, whomever it may be. And, and I'm not sitting here saying that this is a guy that wa- that wants to play 30-some snaps on defense. I just think he wants more opportunities in-game in certain packages. Get me out there. Let me let me be an asset to this team on then more than just special teams. So if that opportunity comes along, that uh, $3 million base or whatever it may end up being on a year-to-year basis, could end up being a steal if he plays a little bit bigger of a role on defense as well. Uh, Matt, you got to talk to him today a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what uh, what he had to say today with the media. Yeah, he was pumped up. I saw Mark uh, over on YouTube asking what, the, what this means for Taiwan Jones. And actually, you were putting together a story. Uh, we kind of joked about it. Like, well, we've written two stories now about Saran Neal in 24 hours. Do we need a third? And I, I think you could have made an argument that, that we could have, we could have used the third. He had a lot to say today. Um, and you had some thoughts on it. And Taiwan Jones was, was part of that because he's a, he's an unrestricted free agent as well. He is not getting any, uh, younger, Ryan. I think as we sit here right now, he is 33. He'll be 34 before the start of next season. Now in the role that he plays, you know, I don't think that you're as worried about, you know, you know, his ability to play what he does falling off a cliff. But, you know, as he gets slower, you know, where he specializes as a gunner, I think that you'll start to see that that performance dip a little bit. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be next season, but maybe you just kind of turn the page at this point on Taiwan Jones. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, especially when you're paying Saran Neal what you're paying. You already have, and Tyler Matakevich is not the same type of role, but you're paying another guy in special teams a good, fair size of or chunk of money, however you want to put it. So do you really want to have three guys like that? Uh, I think that might be a little bit too much. I think that at this day and age, at Taiwan Jones's age, uh, having him on this roster and having one of some very valuable roster spots on a week by week basis dedicated to him too uh, might not be the, the, the best course of action for this team. You know, Saran Neal first and first question out of the gate uh, today was about you know it took back a, a, an exactly a month, thirty one days uh, to back to Kansas City. We hadn't we didn't get a chance to talk to Saran Neal after the AFC divisional round loss to the Chiefs, and as a prominent special teams player. You know, the first question that he was asked was, uh, what happened on that kickoff? Because if you go back and watch, you know, the the film, I mean, there's some there's been some cut ups put out on social media, some screen grabs. I think Joe B uh, did it a little bit uh, in his all 22 breakdown. There were guys kind of looking around. I think Jones was one of them, maybe Neil as well, with their hands up like, all right, uh, what just happened? Like almost to 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 basically signal that the plan wasn't to kick the ball out of bounds. And, you know, he was asked about that and he was you know, did not budge on the fact that the bills continue to kind of want to keep what happened in house. I mean, he basically, I I framed the question like, listen, I I respect the fact that none of you guys really want to talk about this, but you know, there's a fan base, you know, bills mafia. That's very curious as to what transpired there to, that allowed that kind of gaffe to happen in that kind of big moment. And he was like, listen, to be honest, be curious, stay curious, if you will, 
because we're not going to talk about it. Um, as a matter of fact, he even went on to say that they don't even talk about it behind closed doors between players. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I can't imagine that, you know, when these guys get around, they start lamenting about the, the last season and how it ended, that, that that topic doesn't come up, especially the special teams guys. But, you know, you got to take him at, at his word. And, you know, he also said another interesting thing is like, when he was kind of pressed a little bit on the 13 seconds, he said it wasn't just that one play. There were communication problems throughout that that game, and he kind of put it on the entire team. And so there were other breakdowns that happened over the course of the game. And, you know, it's it's easy to, to see that. Uh, you know, Kansas City ends up scoring 42 points. The defensive effort for the Bills wasn't absolutely spectacular in that game. So, you know, there's there's probably a lot of, you know, communication breakdowns uh, in various aspects of the game for the Bills. Yeah, listen, I, I think, though, that we can close the door on getting anything from this team on those last uh, – on the, the end of that Kansas City game. There's three things, Matt, that we can't talk about. Fight Club, Bruno, and those last 13 seconds. It's just not happening. And <laughs> it, I'm sorry. We're not going to find out. Maybe Heath Firewall. Maybe with his new gig, someone will ask him about Buffalo in this game. We'll, we'll hear from him. But no one in Buffalo is going to be talking about this anytime soon. Um, you, you've seen it on pod, podcast appearances, postseason with uh, the end of season with Sean McDermott and company. Now you're seeing it again here with Saran Neal. If they're not talking now, they're not going to talk in these next few months. Stay tuned next week because my one goal in Indianapolis is going to be to try to track down Heath Farwell any way that I can just to get one sentence at least on what happened there, his side of the story. Maybe it will be nothing. Um, I actually was talking to somebody in the Jacksonville media and he hasn't uh, done any media availability yet. Uh, we have not heard from Heath Farwell uh, since I think it was midway through last season. Uh, and all my interactions with Heath Farwell dating back to the last three seasons, they've been really outstanding. I really enjoyed covering him. I enjoyed my conversations with him. So, you know, we'll see next week as, you know, uh, stories are, are shared a little bit more freely in Indianapolis. If maybe something doesn't uh, pop up, don't miss two shows next week, two shout shows next week, Ryan, two special combine week programming Tuesday and Thursday night. I think that's what we're shooting for right now. Yeah. I'm excited about it. That's always an exciting week. Uh, the testing that goes on there, uh, there, you know, there was a little bit of concern uh, about, Four or five days ago, it was going to happen with the whole bubble scenario. So I'm glad to see that's been dealt with. Uh, I always look forward to watching the combine. And I know it's just one small aspect to uh, these prospects, but you put on a good enough show and your stock does rise to a certain extent there. I think that's what uh, really put Dawson Knox on Buffalo's radar a few years ago. When, when you find those guys that can test off the charts, uh, mm-hmm. it kind of opens your eyes to players that you might want to grab and on that second day of the draft. One of the things I asked Saran Neal about today was how much the coaching situation factored into his decision to stay. Um, Jason Taylor asking about the combine. Yep, the combine starts Monday. I think the the testing and everything starts either Tuesday or Wednesday. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott will be available on Tuesday. Uh, so a lot of uh, you'll get a lot of content next week coming out of Indy. But I asked him about that because you know Heath Farwell has been the, the special teams coordinator for Saran Neal three of his four seasons, and so with the kind of uncertainty there in in the moment and then you know obviously Matthew Smiley taking over a lot of fans don't even realize this Matthew Smiley's been here since 2017 he's been here longer than Saran Neal he was here when he got here and so basically the sense that I got from Saran Neal that 
was it had no factor in the decision. He's as comfortable with Smiley as he was with Farwell. As a matter of fact, he he applauded both of those guys for the way that they handled their own positions and how through their example of, you know, uh, keeping each other up and holding each other accountable, you know, it, it really kind of set the example for the team and the, and, and the unit. Uh, he was really complimentary of Matthew Smiley. And I think this coaching staff, Sean McDermott has full confidence in, in Smiley. And he obviously takes over as the uh, special teams coordinator. The Bills announced a whole host of new positions. Okay. This is going to be a, a much different looking uh, coaching staff this year, Ryan. Yeah, it is. And listen, I mean, going into the offseason, and this was more so about Brian Dable when they knew that the writing was on the wall there and he was leaving. Sean McDermott said that they felt confident they had guys in-house that could fill certain positions if, if they became available. And Matthew Smiley is one of those guys on, on special teams. He's, like you said, been here since 2017, uh, knows Sean McDermott's expectations, knows exactly what to expect on a day by day basis. He's been, you know, working in the building for so long. There's not going to be any kind of drop off there in terms of expectations. Uh, he knows what to expect. He knows this unit already. That that's a good first step for a new coordinator to come in, already know everyone that you have, know their strengths, know their weaknesses, know where you can improve. Just a little run through here. Um, John Butler remains the Bills defensive backs coach, but he's been promoted. He's now the defensive passing game coordinator. And I think this is interesting, Ryan, from a, from a few perspectives. Number one, when it was first announced, a lot of fans were a little bit confused. We're like, wait a second, passing game coordinator. Is he taking over for Ken Dorsey, who was promoted to offensive coordinator? And is he going to split time between defensive backs and then coordinating the passing offense for the Bills. And so I, I did some some due diligence and, and found out, no, it's the defensive passing game coordinator. And I think that's an interesting development, thinking about how the Bills season has ended in the last two years, how it ended, what team it ended against, and what their offense, particularly their passing offense, was able to do to the Bills. I think the emphasis is going to be all offseason beyond whatever players that they get, but philosophically, how do they go into next season and do a better job and, and put up a, a better fight against Patrick Mahomes and company in KC and beyond. Yeah. I mean, Joe Burrow and, you know, Justin Herbert's coming, Lamar Jack, whoever you want to throw in there. I mean, the, the AFC is loaded. Yeah. Future's bright in the AFC for sure. Yeah. It's funny because I was in the same boat as you when they put out that notice. It reminded me of the scene from the office when Dwight put on the martial arts, uh, performance it was one of the openers and he fought against himself and he's like here's how i'd counter this and here's what i do i'm like that'd kind of be like john butler in that role well here's here's the concept i'm drawing up and here's how i would cover it is the the defensive backs coach so i i had a good chuckle about it when i first saw that so makes more sense though that uh the, the role that he's actually going to be in i'm excited about that like you said so many really good quarterbacks in the afc speculation and that's all it is a speculation but a, a guy like Aaron Rodgers could end up uh, in the AFC if he ends up wanting out of Green Bay there's always talk about Russell Wilson wanting you know looking around to see if Seattle's still the spot to be for him so it's already a very loaded conference and it could get even more loaded uh, this offseason between the draft and free agency also trades. Bobby Babich is now the linebackers coach. He takes over for his father, Bob Babich, who announced his retirement. Uh, Bobby was has been the Bills' uh, safeties coach for the last few years. Done a really good job. I mean, he's coming off of a year where both of his safeties were all pros. Uh, and if you think about that and kind of project that kind of impact, you know, to this season, 
I really like the move because I think that Tremaine Edmonds can probably use a different um, approach. You know, one thing, you know, he's he's been complimentary of Bob Babich, uh, who's a very well-respected linebackers coach. But, you know, as, as you get older and as the message may get a little bit outdated, and I don't know if that's necessarily even the case, but a guy like Bobby Babich, who's young, energetic, that – Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde rave about to get him in the room to be the kind of hype guy, maybe that a Tremaine Edmonds might need to kind of unlock a portion of his game. I, I look at that, that, that spot and think, man, I, I kind of like what, what, what the bills did there. Yeah. And listen, it is a different perspective, but it, it's at the same time, it's also a father to son switch over in, in terms of Bob retiring and Bobby taking over junior Babbage, I guess I should say has any questions he can go right to his father. He can call his dad up and say, hey, you know, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what I'm seeing. And, and he has his dad as someone he can still call. And, and like you said, Bob Babich was an all-time great linebacker coach. Obviously, Brian Erlacher picked him to be his speaker at the Hall of Fame induction, uh, really hyped him up as a coach. So I am sure going from father to son here, you, you, there might be uh, some changes in terms of perspective and uh, what he brings to the room from an energy energy perspective, but it, it's also going to be a, a good change in that the, the son already knows what he's doing, but he also has dad to kind of lean on if he has any questions. Uh, Jim Salgado promoted to safeties coach uh, from nickel coach. I'm sure he'll still probably work with Taron Johnson a bit. They've worked together now for four seasons. I, I, I'd imagine that would continue in some way, uh, but they'll probably pass some of the um, responsibility around. Uh, Kyle Shermer, uh, Pat Shermer's son, former quarterback, uh, had a cup of coffee uh, in, in the NFL. He's uh, now named the defensive quality control coach, one of two, uh, along with Jalon Finner. bunch of new coaches. You can go find it over, uh, I think the Bills PR uh, tweeted out their their new setup. And now the, the website is actually updated officially. Remember when uh, Brian <laughs> Dable was leaving for a few moments there, it was uh, Rob Boris who was an error in the system and people were freaking out about it. It, it seems like that's all taken care of, figured out. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's one of those deals like uh, you, you delete one entry and everything gets pushed down one. And, and it definitely led to some, I wouldn't say panic, but fans wondering, you know, what happened? What do we miss that all of a sudden it was already labeling someone else as the offensive coordinator? So good to know the site's updated with uh, all the official titles. Uh, we're going to get into the combine a little bit, a little bit of a preview here. Like I mentioned, we got some uh, some Q&A material uh, from Twitter. We'll get into that, too. We'll take some questions. But I want to start, Ryan, with what position group you're kind, you have your eyes on the most here next week um, as we kind of get our first look at some of these prospects. And I guess, like, in a way, this is almost like the position group that intrigues you the most should the Bills go that direction or land at that at that spot with pick 25 or trade up, trade down, however it ends up playing out. Half the fan base is going to love this answer and half's going to hate it, but it's wide receiver. Don't lose your fastball. And I get it. They have Stefan Diggs. Gabriel Davis had an all time game, four touchdowns against Kansas city. They have Dawson Knox, so on and so on, but you can never have enough weapons. And you're already seeing some mock drafts. Jameson Williams from Alabama has been mocked to Buffalo a few times. Um, one of my own mock drafts as well. Um, we, we saw one from NFL.com, Daniel Jeremiah, another wide receiver getting drafted to Buffalo. So I, I really do think it's in play. Uh, I think it's important for them to look at that position, see if the right player falls to them. 
Can you give Josh Allen another asset, another weapon, uh, someone across from Stefan Diggs who's going to be breaking the bank here sooner rather than later uh, on a rookie contract who can learn from those guys, who can just give this offense a whole nother dimension, get that game changer uh, at the position. So like I said, I think it's it's a polarizing position. But I also go and I look at like the Aaron Rodgers of the world, who's had plenty of weapons throughout his career in Green Bay. And one of his gripes over the last few seasons is, man, they're not giving me any weapons at the end of the round one where they could they could have gotten player A, player B, or player C. And instead, they're, they're trying to stockpile for the defense. They're not addressing the needs that I have. And had they have gone wide receiver in some of those drafts, who's to say that maybe Green Bay doesn't have another Lombardi trophy? They've been very close. They've been on the cusp. Uh, they've just kind of gone away from that. So don't lose your fastball. Look at some of these wide receivers if they become available at the end of round one. I'm kind of right there with you, but I'm going to play a little bit. I'm going to go a different direction just not to, to, to repeat what you said, but I love the idea of wide receiver in this, in this draft at 25. Get a player that, you know, super high value. I mean, if you look at Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, you know, he ends up giving the bills. And it's interesting, uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas. And I was reading up a couple different like player evaluations of him. Uh, and one person said, wrote, I think it was Dane Brugler. He's like a souped up version of um, Debo Samuel, which, you know, mm. it, Debo Samuel is pretty souped up. You know? So <laughs> to, to think about that from a player's perspective, I think he's like 6'3". 230, um, you know, Mr. Red Bills, no way Burks is there. Yeah, this is kind of like a probably a dream scenario, but that's what this time of year is for, guys. So, you know, that we're just kind of getting our feet wet here. I think there's a lot that still has to happen. And I think like in a situation like Burks, you, you it really takes you back because you're right. Like most mock drafts have him going in the top 20. Uh, maybe, you know, some mock drafts even have him the first uh, wide receiver off the board. I've seen a couple of those as well. I know that, um, I believe it's Drake London who is getting a lot of a, a lot of love. It's going to be interesting to see him there. That's fun. Like I, I'm excited for that conversation to be had when we get there. But I think I'm going Indy next week, really wanting to take a look at this edge rusher class because I'm interested to see how it plays out. Ryan, right now, if you go to a specific one, there's up to like eight edge rushers that are going in the first round. Uh, that's crazy compared to last season when Jalen Phillips was the first one off the board at 18 to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, a big name, obviously, uh, Kevon Thibodeau out of Oregon. I remember he's the one of the, the one college guy that I actually caught a game for this season and watched him live. And he jumped off the screen. I think it was a, a primetime game. It was the game of the week and he ended up having like, I don't know if it was like four or five sacks. It was a crazy performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you look at a guy like that and you think, okay, that is a slam dunk first overall pick. When those guys get out there uh, or available, you go out and get them. Daniel Jeremiah has him fall into eighth and he ends up being the third edge rusher off the board in his mock. I guess there's some, some concern about his motor uh, that maybe he won't be as consistently dominant uh, as we go along here. So um, that's going to be interesting to watch. How do these guys test? What are the kind of rumblings about these players once you get past uh, Indy week? And, you know, f- for a guy, you know, for a couple guys that, you know, maybe the you have your, your eyes on for the Bills, anything can kind of happen to push them down. And I go back to what Brandon Bean said recently, where don't think for a second, even though we drafted defensive end, First round, second round last year, we won't go back to that well this year if the value is there on the player. And there's a real potential for there to be value at that spot at 25. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the Bills won't be shy about that. They haven't been shy about it the last few years. Uh, like you said, this class seems to be a step above last year's. So if they really do think there's a difference maker, someone that uh, can come in day one and contribute, but might not need the overall development time that the Greg Rousseau's, the Boogie Basham's, the AJ Epinezes most likely do need. Uh, they'll, they'll look in that direction. And, and that's the great thing about Brandon Bean and, and the scouting staff, the front office personnel. They're not going to shy away from any position minus quarterback, obviously, in round one uh, or some of those other positions that you never draft, like punter, kicker, et cetera. You get the gist. They're going to go out and going to take the best player available, regardless of who they have uh, at those positions. It could be another cornerback to go opposite Trey White, knowing that Trey White could be, might not be at 100% at the start of the season. Hey, even some really good safeties in this class, man. And despite you mentioned it, they had two guys that were all pros this year. Maybe they start thinking about the future. So when you have a team that's this loaded, this talented, you can go any direction. And that includes going back to the well at defensive end or that edge rusher, uh, someone that can be a difference maker getting after the quarterback. Charles G uh, brings up that uh, he hopes that Wyatt is there at, at 24. And I think that's super interesting. I mean, Devante uh, Wyatt out of Georgia uh, kind of the like two of those guys there that if they're there are going to be, I think two guys that Bills fans are going to talk about Jordan Davis, obviously the other guy you watch them in the national championship game, go getting better, getting more talented on the interior of that defensive line. It's one of the things I wrote about in my eight big questions facing the bills this off season is like, do you go and, and, and invest in another uh, defensive end? Or do you kind of rely on the fact that, or believe in the fact that you can get Eric Washington in year three, get him, uh, get, get some of these young guys up to speed, maybe bring back a Jerry Hughes, maybe make a run at somebody in free agency, and then try to find maybe the best defensive tackle off the board, uh, whether it be uh, Wyatt or Davis. And uh, obviously there's some opinions in here uh, about who that will end up being. I believe it was PFF that had um, – uh, in their latest mock draft, they had Wyatt going to the Bills at 25. And then I was looking at a ringer mock draft before the show here just now. And that's another thing. We're starting to really just dive into a lot of these mock drafts, these these top 100 boards. And to be honest with you, I'm still kind of getting acquainted with all these guys. And uh, I noticed that they had um, Davis coming off the board at 17 to the Chargers. So there's like varying like opinions on these guys at this point. And that's the fun part about it. Like where are things in February and then fast forward two months, where are things going to be in April? I think we're going to probably be landing on a lot of different boards. Yeah. A hundred percent. Jordan Davis is actually a great example of that because he he's a game wrecker in terms of what he can do, but he's also kind of the old school defensive tackle. Someone that you're only going to have out there traditionally on rundowns and, and, What's the value in that in today's NFL? Is it someone that you want to take in the first half of the first round? Is it someone you even want to take in the second half of the first round? I know how good he can be against the run, uh, but can he be a force against the pass? Can he be somebody that uh, eventually becomes someone that can be a threat to get after the quarterback? I'm not sure, and that's one of the knocks against him. And that's why I've even seen him fall out of some uh, first-round mock draft. So a player like that is a perfect example of, you don't know where they're going to end up in April uh, because right now they're all over the board as well. Speaking of all over the board, you can go all over the board at Tops from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Get over there uh, today, tomorrow. 
uh, whenever you're going to go out shopping and get yourself hooked up. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. All right, let's go to some questions here. Uh, we got a, we got a lot uh, that were brought in uh, over on Twitter. I'll go to those, but I want to start with Josh Allen. Uh, you know, this is a Bills podcast. It's only fair. Uh, over on Facebook, what do you think is more of a need for the offense? A dynamic running back or a better guard? And I think this is actually like a really good conversation to have, Ryan. It is. And first of all, shout out Josh Allen. Got to meet him in uh, New Orleans. Took a picture with him. I believe that's the same one from the picture I just saw there. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with the dynamic running back. Uh, again, it, it comes down to weapons for Josh Allen. And as, as much as I've heard Brandon Bean already say that, you know, building this offensive line, protecting Josh Allen is important. I think if you have enough pieces on this line, you already feel pretty good about it going into 2022. And that's Deion Dawkins. That's Spencer Brown. That's Mitch Morse. Uh, I, I think you ultimately end up bringing back uh, some of these other players that you already have on the roster. And that's not to say that that's enough by any means, but Who's the first person that comes to mind when you talk about those other guys? Not the big three, but the other guy. Who's the first person that kind of flashed through your mind that I'm pretty sure they bring him back? Bates is going to be the one that, yeah. It, that's what I that's what I thought you were going to say. And isn't that just an amazing kind of place that we've landed at now? It is. That among those three, if you th- if you would have rewound the clock to the beginning of the season in, Jan- in, uh, in September, and you would have said that Rick Bates was the most surefire thing, even though he was going to be an RFA after John Feliciano and Daryl Williams just signed those contracts, I think it's more likely that Rick Bates is re-signed as an RFA and Daryl Williams and John Feliciano are cut than any other scenario that you can find and and there's a whole bunch of them i'm not sitting here saying that i think for sure williams and and feliciano are gonna get cut i don't and i don't even know necessarily think that might that's a that's the best strategy to go about it whether it be like restructuring one of those pushing some of the stuff down that you know maybe you know transferring like some some base salary if that's even something that that makes sense uh for maybe daryl williams reconfiguring that contract a little bit but that's where we're at now that I feel like Rick Bates in a lot of ways is almost like this, this really important piece. And it'll probably look a lot like they did with Ike Butker last year. I'm not saying that it's something that you even have to fear not getting done, but I think it's amazing that Rick Bates has all of a sudden become this very important kind of like linchpin to the, to the bills off season uh, plan on the interior of their offensive line. Yeah, a hundred percent. And listen, the versatility is, is a part of that reason I picked Bates. The the small sample size of how he looked when he started is obviously a big part of that. But then the, the financials are part of it. Uh, I think that when they signed Darrell Williams, it was to be, you know, it was tackle money. It was right tackle money. And I'm not sure you can justify that salary as him with him as a guard. There's obviously some other players out there that they could bring in. They could bring in some play, uh, some players that the new line coaches familiar with during his career. Obviously there's a few players that uh, have been linked to the bills since that point in time. And then Feliciano, Feliciano, the best ability is availability. And that's been an issue for him the last two years. So maybe that comes into play with him not returning as well, being let go, parting ways with him as much as he's a fan favorite in the locker room, a fan favorite of Josh Allen. So among those three, yes, Bates by far, I think um, I had the most confidence in him returning in 2022. So my problem with the running back idea is who are you going to bring in at that spot? And I'm, I'm asking you this question, Ryan, like, is there a, is there a player that you can bring in with the kind of dynamic skill set that you're talking about that unseats Devin Singletary as RB one? Is there a plan to that this off season? 
I don't know if there's a specific plan to that. I just think maybe bringing in somebody, and, and it, this could be draft, this could be free agency, this could be trade, uh, where you can bring someone in that can be a little bit, give that extra gear, so to speak, be that home run hitter for the team. As good as Devin Singletary looked down the stretch, he's lacking that extra gear. He can catch the ball. He can run very well with using his vision, using his uh, ability to uh, elude defenders, but he doesn't have that extra gear to to go downfield and and make a twenty yard run, an eighty yard run. So find that guy that can can be the game changer, uh, break those tackles, get all the way downfield. And I think there's some intriguing names across the board that you could be looking at in terms of just strictly more pass catcher, a guy that can be more of a balanced running back for you, but just more so be a compliment. I'm not saying that whoever comes in has to be day one starter over Singletary, just someone that's a little bit different than him that you're going to give a legit opportunity to. I understand all of that and to a degree agree with it, but I'll push back a little bit just from the sense that I think that whoever they bring in at this point, they're going to have to bring in somebody with that skill set that can overtake Devin Singletary for running back one duties and you move on from Singletary at that point. If that if that's the, the track that you want to go. I I wouldn't go that necessarily that track. And I don't have dynamic running back high up on my priority list for the Bills this offseason. And the reason being is it's something we talked about for the most part last season and why I think they struggled to figure it out for so long. This is a passing offense. It's going to continue to be a passing offense with Josh Allen. And my worry is you go and spend all this time trying to kind of pinpoint a player. Maybe we spend all this time trying to kind of figure out what this um, share is going to look like, depending on whatever player they bring in. One guy interested me on the free agent market, Raheem Mostert, right? What's his fit here? How many carries is he going to get? How many touches is he going to get? I think one of the impressive things about Singletary, I know he had a couple games of 20 carries uh, down the stretch. There's also a lot of games with 12, 14 carries. He found a way to make the most of a limited opportunity, even still, he was really good down the stretch. I thought that that Devin Singletary we saw over the final 10 games, including the playoffs, was a guy that you give the opportunity to start next year. You have Zach Moss, potentially Christian Wade. I mean, I know he's going to be 32, but like maybe he's the guy. I know it's crazy. And like, I don't <laughs> want to start that in, in February, but maybe Christian Wade's a guy that you, you let him come to training camp and try to earn the Matt Breida role and use him for those big game breaking situations. Yeah, I'm going to change the headline on this to like Christian Wade, clear running back one. It's going to pop on YouTube and everywhere else because of all the Wade. Running back three, Ryan Talbot. (laughs) Running back three. Uh, Listen, I like the Christian Wade's run. I saw a comment in here asking about him. Uh, You know, it's been a matter of learning the game, injuries, et cetera. I believe it was a shoulder this year that kind of kept him out the entire season. So you never say never. He's going to get another opportunity, another crack at it. Um, but there are some players out there. I met, saw someone in the comments mention Penny out of Seattle. When he's been healthy, he, he was really good this year. He, he really flashed. But again, availability has been an issue with him. So maybe you bring in a player you like watch that. You a lot of Penny? I, I was actually a big fan of his coming out of college. And, and then I did lose track of him there for a little bit. But again, he didn't get to play a lot early in his career. Carson was outshining him in, in Seattle. Injuries were playing a role. But I did get to see him this year at the end of the year. And I mm-hmm. thought he ran the ball pretty well, pretty effectively, looked dynamic. So maybe he's someone that you can get in here with an incentive. I'm not saying he's going to be like veteran cheap or anything like that. Um, but you can get him in here maybe on an incentive-laden deal where if he can stay healthy and he can be that game changer, he could be someone that could 
uh, factor in on this offense. I don't know if does he have home run speed. He kind of reminded me a little bit of of, of Singletary the way that he I wins. Would, um, he <laughs> four. I uh, was a four four seven. So okay, so he does have some more speed than uh, yeah than Singletary, who I think was like four six ish maybe. Singletary four five. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, he tested poorly at the combine. That's one of the reasons that the build that he fell a little bit, and the Bills are like, we you know we're comfortable with what we saw in film with him more than what he looked at at the combine. So a little more speed. We have a bunch of questions on Facebook or on Twitter as well. Uh, Gregory Joubert, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he's got a couple in here as well. Thoughts on the report from Mike Catalana. Shout out to uh, Wham uh, out in Rochester. Great uh, update on the training camp, possibly returning to uh, St. John Fisher. I'm excited, Ryan Talbot, at the thought of getting back out to Rochester. Hopefully we can get you out there for a few days as well. If that ends up being the case. Give me all of the um, cots inside those dorm rooms. I'll take it for Bill's Mafia to get back up and close and personal with their team. Uh, just the experience in Fisher is – I, I really miss it uh, these last few years, and that'll be really cool if it, if it ends up being back. Yeah, I'm excited about it from the Bill's perspective, the, the perspective of the Rochester Bill's fans. I'm excited from my perspective of getting my yearly garbage plate. Maybe we can speed up the, the bar bill application and make sure they're open in time this summer. Uh, if they end up opening up officially in Rochester. So, no, a, a lot to be excited about. I, I always enjoyed going there. I remember when I was very young, I went to Fredonia for, uh, you know, a day here and there as a kid. And then obviously covering the team, going to Rochester a few days out of the summer was always very nice. I always enjoyed it, the atmosphere, uh, the activities they had for the kids, the autograph tent for kids. So they, they did a really good job with it there, and I would be excited. And obviously it wouldn't be exactly the same. There will still be some restrictions, I'm sure. Uh, but Rochester Bills fans spend two years. I, I think that they at least deserve, uh, you know, a, a proper one, a few more years, at least of this two weeks at a time in, in training camp. I know the Bills front office, Brandon Bean, and then co- head coach Sean McDermott like to get away a little bit too, despite having great facilities in Orchard Park. Gregory, bringing uh, multiple questions here with uh, Saran Neal rele- resigned. Most likely for the gunner on the other side to be either on this roster right now, not on the roster right now, or best available uh, in re-signing Taiwan Jones. I don't think Jones ends up being back. And honestly, my prediction, I don't know. I I can't remember who it was, but I think it it was DeMar Hamlin. Um, He could be in play there. He's got like low-key speed, and he's really aggressive on special teams. I think I remember seeing him doing some some reps um at some point during the season but you know at this point my memory uh it, it isn't great these days but no i think they probably they probably have somebody that they've been grooming uh behind those guys just like they found Sharan Neal i'm sure that they have options uh within the building right now if they, if they need it yeah they have options within but i wouldn't be surprised if they brought someone from outside uh whether it's it's someone that they sign on the cheap and free agency or even someone that they end up drafting that they feel can handle that responsibility early on in their career and then kind of uh, take over a, a bigger role as the year or two goes on. Like, uh, so it, it's open. I just don't think Taiwan Jones is the answer personally at his age. The fact that they're already paying Saran Neal a good amount of money as well. Ryan Talbot, now that Saran Neal has been re-signed, my take-it-to-the-bank guarantee move I don't know if it'll be next, but it's coming. Harrison Phillips resigns with the Bills. I cannot see any scenario where Harrison Phillips is not a Buffalo Bill next year. 
Yeah, I agree. I was going to say the same percentage as jersey number. I, I really like the, the <laughs> odds of it happening. This is a guy that's been <laughs> Buffalo from day one. Every every time he's actually had an injury, he stayed in Buffalo and rehabbed. You see all those videos of when they bring the rookies in, and Harrison Phillips is always in the building welcoming them. He's Buffalo through and through. He's someone that played extremely well down the stretch last year, uh, someone that loves this organization, and I, I think that he'd be all for coming back and running it back for a year, even if it's a short-term deal, one, two-year deal. I think that he wants to be back in this building as well. All right, let's get over to uh, over to Twitter. We got some stuff. Uh, our good friend Mark with a couple questions, um, but we'll start with uh, tacos. If Josh Allen was a Skittle, what flavor would he be? Would he be? I, I did answer that on Twitter. I got to look. I literally did some Skittle research on this, Matt, because I didn't want to go with like the traditional flavors. Although I was a lime green guy before they changed it to uh, uh, green apple. Gross, just gross. Spine tingling tangerine. Because he he just kind of fans get the the chills watching him, so I went with spine tingling tangerine. The only reason I asked that question is because I knew that you would have an answer for it. I'm not actually going to answer what what flavor I think Josh Allen is as a Skittle, but I knew you'd have something that just knocked it out of the park. So thank you. You see the Bills trading away a running back this off season? Ah, uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think the value. You know, one, I don't know if they have anyone worth trading away, and I don't think there's anyone worth trading for in terms of what the price tag would be. That's it. Like, you know, I know a lot of people joked around, like, you know, we put the Christian McCaffrey story up over the weekend and it was kind of really buzzing for a little while there. So much so that somebody texted me and they were listening to WGR and somebody called in and said, I don't know what's been going on, but I heard, I heard the bills are, there's a rumor out there. The bills are going to trade for Christian McCaffrey. Adam Schefter reported it and blah, 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 blah. blah. It's like, Somebody texted me like, see what you did, Perino? It's like, can we not just have an innocent, fun conversation? It's February. It's fun. Read the story. Read the story. There's there's no reporting. It's just pontification and, you know, uh, bold predictions. Uh, let's all come together and just help out uh, that person who called into local radio just up in arms about this report. The thing is, in all of the Christian McCaffrey stuff, pe- people kept adding in there like, um, oh, just jam Zach Moss in there and like trade him away. It's like, I don't know if Brandon Bean's in the business of trading away uh, fixed cost contracts. Like that's something that he values. It's something that even having that guy in the building, whether or not you think that they're um, producing or, um, you know, have a significant role in the offense, they're available in case of an injury. They're still developing the player. I don't think I, I haven't shut the door on Zach, on the Zach Moss experience in Buffalo. So I, he just got to find his right opportunity. He's got to take advantage of it when it comes. And I think they're the they're sitting in the same spot the Bills are with with Moss. Uh, the other question there was biggest realistically ob- obtainable player you see the Bills going after. I gave mine last week, Ryan. Do you, do you have somebody different than Chandler Jones? Because I no, do think actually, that they're going to sneak yeah. you in on it. That I think I think they're going to be on him too, and that, it just goes back to the fact that they tried to trade for Von Miller back at the trade deadline. The fact that they tried to sign J.J. Watt last season around this time. They've been in on some veterans, some guys that they think could get after the quarterback, make a difference there. And I think that Chandler Jones just makes the most sense of those. 
big name players that could come in. Um, obviously, I guess at a different position, and I, I did get some flack from some fans being like, "Oh, I don't know if he's a big name player, a big name receiver." Christian Kirk, I think, is in play. You know, vacationing with Josh Allen. I'm sure they at some point they talk a little bit of football. He's a, a pending free agent. A lot of uncertainty in Arizona with with uh, Kyler Murray. So he's someone on the offense side of the ball. I could see them being in play for if the price is right, especially. Uh, you, you know, that first year of the contract, can they get that the cap number low for him? I think he's in play, but definitely Chandler Jones in terms of those bigger name players, someone that can be a difference maker getting after the quarterback. With Sanders' likely retirement, and I don't, I don't know where I'm at with Sanders' retirement. Like, I don't know. I don't know if, if Emmanuel Sanders is retiring quite yet. Um, I don't know if he's back in Buffalo, but I don't know if he's definitely, definitely like closed the door yet. We'll see. Would you trade for, although he has been doing some, uh, some analyst stuff. And I'll tell you, these guys, it's got to get real comfortable in those chairs really quick. So I wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, would you trade for Brandon cooks or draft? I wouldn't trade for Brandon cooks. That contract is, is a little bit too high. Uh, I'd have to dive into it. You could probably do some things with it, but I, I'd go a different direction. Uh, um, draft a wide receiver early. I believe we need four starting quality wide receivers, especially with the risk of injuries and COVID. I'm hoping COVID is not as big of a deal next year, Ryan, but I'm all in on the go either day three, day two, day three route with Gabe Davis uh, a couple years ago, find a, a, a late you know flyer on a guy or, or go all in at 25 with a receiver like we talked about at the top of the show. Yeah, I think draft would be the best thing to do there. Like you said, if, if you're going to bring in someone, you don't want to bring someone in a, on a massive contract as good as Cooks can be. And, and like you said, there's things I'm sure you could do with that contract. So may, never say never. It's certainly a possibility, but they have mouths to feed here. They still have cap that they need to shed here in Buffalo before they can make a lot of moves or some moves in free agency. So player at 25 or, or day two, day three of the draft, where, like you said, cost control, that, that definitely will play a factor in their decision-making as well. We're not in a place yet where I think, where I feel like we have a consensus on who the top three or four cornerbacks are in the draft. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe you are, if you watch college football, if you're, if you, if you scour through this stuff, Darius, Derek Stingley uh, out of LSU, Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati, Trent McDuffie out of Washington, and Andrew Booth out of Clemson. Those are the four, right? Andrew Booth is kind of like, at this point, junior guy. Um, his comp is Aqib Tlaib, actually, which I think is interesting. He's kind of like a fringe first rounder. He's, you're, you're seeing him in most first rounds, but a guy that, I, you know, depending on how the combine goes, the pro day goes, could go up, could go down. You know, we'll see where those cornerbacks go. Um, McDuffie sauce and Stingley are kind of like the consensus top three. So if one of those is on the board or one of the top consensus three wide receivers are on the board and, you know, we, we talked about a couple, couple of them already. Where do you go if you're being, and I know you'll, he'll probably go to his board, but if you're being honest, Ryan, what do you think is a bigger need getting CB two? And this is a question from Twitter or getting that potential wide receiver, even if it's wide receiver three, I've seen some mock drafts. I saw one tonight that had the Bills going with Jahan Dotson out of Penn State, uh, kind of like a slot guy. Uh, I'm not seeing him in a lot of uh, mock drafts, but it kind of fulfills a knee. Might be a little bit of a reach. We'll see. But w- what do you think? Wide receiver, cornerback, all things being equal, if you can get a first-round talent there. 
Yeah, all th- if all things are being equal, I would go cornerback. And it's something I've been pounding the table on for at least a year now just because I said after Tredavious White signed that monster deal, if you can bring in a quality cornerback early in the draft that you think can be cornerback number two or cornerback 1B, I guess would be an even better way of saying it. If you think that they have that type of talent, you can really shut defenses down, make life difficult for them if you have two guys. Uh, I think this offseason becomes even more important that knowing where Trey White's going to be in his uh, rehab process coming back from a serious injury. You don't know what the status is of Levi Wallace, again, a free agent. I think he's going to make a lot more this offseason than he's ever been in, in line to make as, as someone that's had a chance to hit the market last year. Uh, they obviously have confidence in developing guys that, you know, they, they like Dane Jackson. They, they've worked with Cam Lewis. Obviously they developed Levi and Trey and um, the list, Taron Johnson the list goes on and on. But if you, if all things are equal between that wide receiver and cornerback, I think cornerback at least this year takes precedent uh, when you consider in all those factors. Uh, here's one from Mark Robbins. We answered kind of his first one already uh, through the course of the show, but does the depth of the draft, more players declared than usual mean there is more value in trading back or keeping 2020 picks. I don't know where I'm, where I stand yet on tra- marrying back or, you know, or uh, reading a comment, don't marry yourself <laughs> to any position trading back or trading up. Um, I, that'll depend on you know, more of the research that happens over the course of the, dra- of the draft process and how the draft shakes out. I almost feel like you can't really make that um, claim of what, what a team should do until you're in the scenario with the players, you know, do, do, do those three quarterbacks, do they all go before 25? Does that push a couple guys down? And maybe you want to move up a couple spot spots to get a guy that you really want. I'm probably more in that camp than I am trading back just because I, I think the bills need impact players. And if, and if you can go up and get an impact player, whether it be a wide receiver, they could come in here and have, these happen every once every five years, but like a Justin Jefferson type of first year impact uh, or even 70% of that. I think you sign up for that in a trade up and you got an extra six round pick this year. I don't think that seven draft picks are going to be or eight draft picks are going to make this roster. We saw it last year. The bills lost three drafted players. They try to stash on the practice squad. They're probably going to be in that similar situation next year. So go out and get the players that you really value, that you really like. I could see Brandon Bean being a little bit more aggressive on that front on draft day this year, just because, listen, they played it cool last year, and they got players that I think that they were happy to come away with. They were high on Boogie Basham. And who knows? Dude, Boogie Basham could have we, – we should do a whole show on Boogie Basham at some point because I think that's a really interesting guy to talk about this offseason. He could put in the work this offseason, have a huge jump year one to year two, and be the piece that nobody was even projecting. Like I don't even see anybody really in my mentions or media-wise – calling for a big breakout year two for Boogie Basham, but I'm not ruling that out, Ryan. You know, maybe he needed to kind of sit back, watch a little bit, get his body right in the offseason, full offseason to prepare for what the NFL grind truly is, put him on a plan, and maybe he comes back and he's the guy that you're kind of really looking to make an impact next year. Yeah, he flashed definitely when he had his opportunities, and maybe he is someone that you're not expecting. But, you know, the question itself, you nailed it. The Bills are not the – they don't have the type of roster where trading back to get more assets, to get more players makes sense for them. If you're a team like the Jets, a team like the Lions, a a team that is desperate for talent, this might be a draft class where you're okay moving down almost every round to get more picks because, hey, these guys can come in. Uh, Some of them will start year one. Some of them will start by the end of year one. They'll start year two. 
The Bills aren't in the spot like that. They they are a Super Bowl contender. They have limited roster spots available, even with a lot of free agents, even with uh, you know a, a lot of players that could end up walking away. They're not in that scenario where they they should be going back and trying to end up with twelve picks or ten picks in this draft. Uh, I think trading up, like you mentioned, is more realistic than trading down this year, not just first round, but just overall in general, making some moves on the draft board. I think just going up on day two, day three makes more sense than, than dropping down. Through Brandon Bean's first four drafts, Buffalo has focused primarily on defense with their first selection. Edmonds, Oliver, Epinesa, Russo, the only offensive player being Allen. Most mocks I've seen project us taking a wide receiver. Do you guys think this has legs? If so, who? Talk a little bit about this here already, but I thought it was interesting, Ryan. In the Jeremiah mock draft, I was taking a look at it before we started here. Not only did he have the Bills taking Burks, it was the headline of the story. Yeah. It's almost like the the narrative is like get the Bills more weapons for Josh Allen. Like that's like I think what everybody is kind of hoping for. And I while we're on this topic, we could talk about how Isaiah Hodgins plays into this David uh making the question. I think I've seen another person talk about it in the chat here tonight. He I was asked about him too. What's his role? I, I think he's going to co- come to camp next year no matter what the Bills do and have a chance to earn one. Yeah, 100% on Hodgins. Uh, in terms of the Bills, is it, does it have legs? Yeah, 100% has legs on, on them possibly drafting a wide receiver. There's some talented guys that might get pushed down the board for whatever reason. Uh, you mentioned quarterbacks possibly going early. A lot of teams desperate for that could push push one of them down. A, a guy like Jamison Williams, who I think before his injury in the, in the national championship was regarded as more of a top 10 pick. I think he could be there coming off of a serious injury. Someone that has that 4-3 uh, type speed, someone that could be a little bit different for this team when he comes back. And, you know, years ago when the Bills took a, a swing on a guy like Willis McGahee, and it didn't make sense because they didn't have the roster to take a swing like that. Uh, and mind you, different position, obviously. But the Bills are in a spot now where if they think, man, if we can get Jamison Williams uh, back to what he was before this injury, he's worth taking that swing on at 25, 100%. You you don't need him week one. You can bring him along and have him join this team midseason and, and maybe be that difference maker in the second half of the year and, in, and for their playoff run next year. Another question was about uh, if there were any players on the Saints that are worth trading for. And, you know, the only one that I think really pops off is, uh, you know, Cam Jordan. But yep. you take a look at that contract and it's a I don't think it's really tradable. Like, I mean, they have to take a like a lot of that. I mean, 2022 is cap hits 23 million. Uh, I think it's like 22 million. Then the following season, the dead cap is gi- ginormous. I don't know how that changes in a draft or in a trade. Uh, but I'm looking at this roster, man. Some of these, some of these contracts are silly. I mean, Andres Pete, I remember he was like the, I don't know, 21st guard the year he was up for free agency. His, his, his cap hit this year is $15.4 million. Ryan, how bad roster construction is that knowing that there's probably at least four bills, offensive linemen better than Pete. And none of them even come close to that cap hit. The number one cap hit is Deion Dawkins. And that's because he's a franchise left tackle that just re-signed. Uh, and it's still less than that. It's, that's crazy. That's craziness. Just looking at it. 
Yeah, they, they've kind of kicked the can for about a decade now in terms of these contracts and, and being, you know, with the cap snares that they have. And, and listen, you can manipulate the cap there. I, I read an article about how they could create a lot of money this offseason, actually. But it was bad enough that Sean Payton pretty much says, well, I don't have a quarterback. We, we have some pretty <laughs> terrible contracts on on this roster. I'm just going to kind of say goodbye for now and let them kind of figure things out uh, with De- Dennis Allen eventually getting that head coaching job. But that, that's how bad it is there. And you're right. There's some really, really bad contracts on the books in New Orleans. Kyle says this one's for Ryan Talbot, but I will say I've been, I've watched all the seasons of Stranger Things. Uh, but how excited are you for Stranger Things season four? Any hot takes about how they're splitting up the season with two separate release dates? Uh, no hot takes. I, I think it's just going to be like uh, what you see on a lot of TV shows. That first half of the season's going to le- you know, end on a cliffhanger of some sort. So then in, in a few months when the second half comes out, uh, you're just going to be desperate to watch. I have my uh, Hawkins police pen here that I was given as from a student recently because they know of my, my love of it. I'm just actually pumped up to be caught up on a show that's still on the air. I'm terrible about stuff like that. TV shows, movies. Do you want to know what movie I watched for the first time this past weekend, Matt? Hangover. Twister. It's, it's atrocious. That's one of the worst things I've ever heard from this man. And I've heard some deplorable things. I've heard some inexcusable things. Twister is a classic. I'm embarrassed for you. I just put you to bed. Lived that, up to the hype. I, I enjoyed it. What, however many years later. Uh, I've, seen, 20, I've, seen twist, I've seen Twister more times than I've done podcasts with you. The CGI was a little sketchy. That cow line was not believable whatsoever, but that movie was made, I believe, in the 90s, so I can live with it. Uh, I'm, but I'm very excited about Hopper and the storyline with Hopper in season four, so I can't wait to see what happens there. Ryan, that movie came out in 1996. That nice. was groundbreaking CGI. I was 12 years old. That, that cow was... I was. Well, how old was I? You were how, was, like, how old was 25, I? 25, 30 at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. Oh, anyway, back to Stranger Things for a moment. No, I'm excited. Um so yeah, what's the whole deal now? Um Hopper is, you know, he's in the in he's in the upside down, right? That's that's the whole deal now. Or we don't they, know where he is. Maybe he's in Russia. Because they yeah, they ended the end of the season with like, oh, don't get the American for this. And so maybe he's the American that's in that prison over there. Uh, but obviously the way it ended in season three, it, it seems like the upside down would be more realistic, but that's why I'm excited to see. Uh, how this develops, how they get him back. Uh, you know, And then obviously they have the storyline of half of them moving, half of them staying behind. It'll be interesting to see how, how all those storylines uh, get woven back together. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Thank you, Elliot. Sorry about that. Spoiler alert. If you haven't watched um, mm-hmm. Stranger Things yet, don't hear what you just heard. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That was a spoiler. I shouldn't have. Oh, here's another good question. Like, what's the statute? Like, what's the kind of like the runway for like spoilers for like a big movie release? Like, so when Spider Man came out, obviously there was a really big spoiler, like that people were talking about before it even came out. I even read about it. Um, we're at the point now where we can freely and openly talk about the new Spider Man, right? Like with oh, I, everything I that happened. That. Yeah, I, I didn't even talk about it yet on social media, but I still gave like a, a two to three week grace period before even talking around other people that I know had seen it not sure if other people in their families had seen it yet. I, there's a grace period for sure, but blockbusters like that and Twister, I mean, 
you know, you, you gotta give a few weeks or in my case, a solid 20 years and then start talking freely about it. Did you think that, uh, Helen Hunt and Bill Pullman were going to get together in the end? Oh yeah. You think that, that, yeah, you knew that was their their chemistry was off the charts. I don't care about the divorce papers. They, you could tell the sparks were flying there. No (laughs) doubt in my mind. Listen, nothing brings a couple together like flying cows and chasing down twisters. Listen, that gets, that gets, that gets the juices flowing every time for me. It gets gets me pumped up and uh, I might even go up and watch twister tonight in honor of twister. Um, I might watch tonight. Have you ever seen speed by the way? Josh wants to know. Of course I have speed. Cause I would have literally just speed too as well. You regretted that immediately. Didn't you? Speed. Well, it doesn't, the the sequels usually never live up to the hype. Oh yeah. I said, Bill Pullman, my wife, (laughs) my wife said, how dare you? It's Bill Paxton. I knew who you meant though. Yeah. I'm embarrassed for myself. All right. Um, all right. We're rambling here. By the way, I finished, um, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Yes. Good. Good. Real good. Um, what, what yeah. is that? What, wait, wait, what is that review? Good. Good. One, real one, good. What? That's what one, you say about like a pasta at a rest. Yeah. Good. Real good. One complaint. One complaint. Predictable to create the love triangle with, with Jamie. Like I'm not feeling Jamie and, uh, Keely, I'm not feeling it. Like to me, like it was just it, I, I I settled on Roy and Keely, and I wanted that to be for a couple seasons, and just them kind of interjecting that back in after the after Roy and and Jamie had the big moment after did, did the you cry bad situation. The big did you? Did you? No, cry there? Oh, no. Oh, that I might have got special, Matt. It was special, but I did not cry for that, and and so I don't know. I just feel like the the, the producers, the writers, jumped the gun a little bit. And so, yeah. Um, and then somebody, Joshua Richardson, chiming in, Isaiah Hodgins is trash. So, you know, we have that to talk about too, maybe next week. I, I don't share that opinion. I, I, I like Isaiah Hodgins. I think he's sneaky, could be earn, earn a role next year uh, to start, and then we'll see. But bringing it back to football here, I guess, before we sign off. <laughs> like it. I like it. Yeah, no, maybe he takes over as the more of the traditional uh, red zone weapon, kind of like what we were seeing from Gabe Davis at a c- certain point in time, where I think Davis obviously is going to have a much bigger role in 2022. Hosting a large party this weekend? Check out Tops' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, affordable, no stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy football. I don't know if that's the, the, the read that we're supposed to do anymore since the season's over and fantasy football is not happening anymore. So I'll reach out to the tops folks and see if we need a new one of those. All right. We're going to get out of here for Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. We'll see you next week. I'll be in Indianapolis. We will bring you coverage. Tuesday's show will be recapping everything we get from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott on Tuesday. We'll get into the, to the prospects. Our second show will likely be Thursday potentially Friday, depending on how it all shakes out when I'm leaving, all this kind of stuff. We'll keep you posted on that. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.